Everybody all right? It's really important for us to get this sermon, and uh, over the next several weeks, I may even have to, we're going to get as far as I can today, and uh, we may even have to come back to this passage, all right? Do not love the world. Do not love the world. This is the first clear-cut command that we've come to in our sermon series through 1 John. Do not love the world. Do not. It's an imperative. It's a, it's a command. And at first glance, when you hear something inside the scripture that says, do not love the world, it can be a little bit confusing for us, can it? Because many of us know passages of scripture like John 3.16, like we know the back of our hand that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so at first glance, these two passages of scriptures, man, they seem to be contradictory in nature. Because God so loved the world that he, he gave his only son to it, and yet Jesus is even said as the, being the one who takes away the sins of the world, and yet we get to a passage like this that tells us, do not love the world. And what's interesting about this is just like in the English language, we know that there's many definitions to our words, correct? Like you don't love Taco Tuesday the same way that you love your wife. I hope not, right? You don't love your sports team the exact same way that maybe you love your child or your significant other. And, and so likewise, within the, the Greek language, words can have many different definitions. It is said that in the writings of John that anywhere between three and six different ways that John will use the term world. Sometimes he means the actual created earth. Sometimes he, he will mean um, a, a group of people within that earth. Sometimes he will mean every people group on the planet, right? Sometimes he's using it very specifically, and sometimes he's using it very uh, generically. And so that's why it's important for us to be uh, biblically literate. It's because context matters. Context matters of these words. All right? World does not always mean world in the way that you think it does. Just like the term all does not always mean all in the way that we think it does. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. And that's why understanding the context, text and context of Scripture is extremely important for us as followers of Jesus. Uh, John, by the grace of God, is not saying that you and I can't enjoy much of what is on the earth. He's not telling us that we can't enjoy uh, uh, you know, a great meal. He's not saying that we can't enjoy the beach. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, he's not saying that we can't enjoy the mountains or, or even physical intimacy within the confines of, of marriage. He's not saying that we can't enjoy many things on this earth. There are good graces and if anything, many of us as Christians need to become more celebratory of those good gifts that God has given us. We need to enjoy them. There are times to kill the fatted calf. There are times of celebration. There's time of appreciation. And we need to take advantage of those things. But when, when John says specifically here, do not love the world, he is He's not saying don't enjoy these created gifts, 
but rather he's using the term here to reflect of a system of organized evil, which often takes these good gifts and turns them into counterfeit gods for us to worship and to pursue kingdoms of light versus kingdom of darkness. Right? Most of the sins that you and I struggle with, at their core rootedness, there's nothing wrong with them. Right? Nakedness. That's a pretty awesome thing. In your own bedroom, alone, or with your husband or wife, that's, that's without shame. That can be a blessing, right? But nakedness in public is a, is a different thing. Um, many beverages... Right? In moderation is is a good is the fruit of the vine. Jesus shows up to a party and he doesn't make juicy juice. The brother makes wine. In moderation, for those of us who don't struggle with those sorts of addiction sorts of things, man, that can be a good gift from God, a good meal, right? But here's what the evil system in the world does is it it takes these good gifts, it makes them gods that we worship, that we long for, that we become obsessed with, that we then begin to abuse. And that's all from the evil system in the world that we are experiencing. And so John is telling us, as Jesus is telling us, not to love this world. Brothers and sisters, we need to get this, that in everything in this evil system, that it is strategic and tactical at ruining your lives, at ruining my lives, and, and my life, and it's brilliant. This is not a, a dumb, evil scheme. No, this is something that is well thought out, well planned, and it is greatly effective. Sin, Satan, and death, as I hate to give them credit, but they're good at what they do. They're good at what they do. We're not being tempted with things that wouldn't tempt us. But every person in here is being tempted at, in this evil system that it has an agenda. There's no such thing as the no-spin zone. It has a spin from, from politics to people from possessions to whatever it may be, all of this has an evil agenda behind it as the ruler of this world, sin, Satan, and death itself is orchestrating this, this great scheme and plan that would lead us astray, that it would lead us away from Jesus. See, the, loving the world is valuing what it values. It's pursuing what it pursues. It's spending your time, your talents, your treasures on, on what the world spends its time, talent, and treasures on. It's, it's talking about what it talks about. It's justifying sins of the culture and allowing the culture to interpret our lives and the Scripture. See, what you love is what you sacrifice for. What you love is what you sacrifice for. And this is a very serious warning inside of this scripture. John is, is transitioning. As we talked about last week, he writes this, this beautiful little poem, right? It's like, man, you're the children of God. You're the young men of God. You're, you're forgiven. You have overcome the evil one. But yet he is going to switch gears as he's been saying up until this point, you're Christians, you're Christians, you're Christians, you're Christians, you're Christians, you're Christians. He's trying to assure them of salvation. And yet for today and the next several weeks, man, 
he's going to look at us with a very stern, fatherly, brotherly, just loving the gospel into us and is saying, you got to take this seriously, do not love the world. Do not love it. Listen to what he says. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's no extra biblical commentary. That's straight from the scripture. Right? Don't say the preacher stepped on your toes today. If you do, then you've missed it. No, the, 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 you have been ran over by a gospel semi-truck this morning. When you look at that scripture and it says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And right now, the evil system of the world is convincing everyone in here, it is not talking about me. I don't love the world. And that's the world that we live in. This is a very serious, very serious warning that the people of Mission Church need to get. Remember, this was written to a church. It is written to us. In Romans, Paul will address this issue when he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. James is going to speak of this. The brother of Jesus will one day write in James chapter 4, verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. How many Christian mugs have you seen with that passage on it? Zero. Zero. And I know that we all want, you know, lollipops and raindrops and unicorns and, you know, just this fairy utopia experience. And yet the scripture is is penetrating the very hearts and affections as he speaks into the attitudes of the world versus the attitudes of Christ, the attitudes of the gospel, the attitudes of those who, who claim to follow Jesus. The world is going to tell you how you're living your life is your truth. It's your love. Do it to the fullest extent. And yet when we see this, if you are claiming to know and to belong to the person and work of Jesus, to be united in in Christ, then there must be this great distinction between you and I and this evil system in the world. See, many of us are struggling to pay attention even to this this morning because we have been spiritually blinded by this agenda. See, this agenda will be so good as to convince you that, man, belonging to a church, attending a worship gathering, you're good. You're good. And yet the scripture speaks very differently than that. Pastor David Wells has this great quote. He says this, Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. And John is going to go on here to describe the love of the world by these three marks. We see these in this passage. Let me go ahead and give them to you, and then we'll come back to it. Love of the world first looks like the desires of the flesh. 
Secondly, the desires of the eyes. And then thirdly, the pride of life and possessions. Where do we get this from? Well, we get it from verse 16. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, this is not from the Father, but is from the world. This is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And so as we dive into this passage and we look at this, this idea of desire, some translation, maybe your translation even says uh, the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh. And, and immediately we start using the term like lust, our, our temptation is, is to be singularly focused on this idea of sexual immorality. And does it include that? Well, absolutely. But it is not limited to that. The lust or the desires of the flesh is something that is internal within us, within our sinful nature. And that can be different. Our temptations can, um, in, in dealing with that can be different in every one of us who have gathered here this morning. It does include, as I mentioned, sexual immorality. But it could be things like anger, the passion to be right, gluttony, addictions, obsession with politics, Cravings of our flesh and included but not limited to, again, sexual desire. These, these cravings could be seclusion. It could be lack of relationship with others. It could be, man, the desire for just sleep, which I'm there right now. Comfort, the ease of life, excessive longing for an emotional or physical connection. Anything that we become obsessed over rather than being obsessed with Jesus, is, is ultimately bringing to the surface within our own affections the desires or the lust of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, you and I, let's be confessional this morning, have become very distracted by the noise of the world, haven't we? We've become preoccupied with whether or not we can stand our broom up magically. Obsessed. Right? If it's not T-bowing, it's planking on something, it's cat videos being scared of cucumbers. Right? I mean, you sit down for a minute and you're like, oh, I got five minutes to waste. And before you know it, you're scrolling through an hour's worth of YouTube videos or memes, or TikTok videos. We are extremely preoccupied. We, we no longer can even watch a show without looking at our phone while we're doing it. We can't go to the movies and pay an exorbitant amount for a ticket price without the glow of someone's phone coming on. Because it's not entertaining enough. We're distracted. We're, we're preoccupied. Let, let's face it, brothers and sisters. We have attention deficit when it comes to the things of God, yet can binge watch an all day a show on Netflix that we probably shouldn't be watching to begin with. 
We complain about an hour-long sermon, but we'll, we'll watch three hours of, of young kids being paid millions of dollars if they're in the NFL or being paid nothing if they're in college. And our, the rest of our day can be affected by the win or loss of those young men. Maybe I'm the only one. Have you ever asked the question, man, why am I drawn to certain things? Right. Have you ever been around a bug zapper that's working really well? And it is a bug graveyard of moths and gnats around that thing. I mean, it's, it's nasty, right? It's disgusting. And if you're ever sitting close to one and you hear that, dead, dead and you're like idiots those dumb bugs right I mean every time I go fishing and 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 Larry's like man he throws me some you know massive bait and it's like huge and I mean he's called I don't know how many fish at it I'm like these fish are idiots who would want to put that in their mouth right but just like those bugs and just like those bass you and I are, 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 are drawn to the shiniest of things, to the, the lure, to a falsehood, to a, a counterfeit. We're like those bugs that are drawn to a purple light for some reason. And it's like, don't you think that, that those bugs would be smart enough to be like, you know, Bubba just got zapped in that thing. It's probably a good thing that we don't go in it. Right? But it's like, I can't help myself. Right? I mean, we have that moment where it's like, we, we, we're, we're, we're just something inside of us that's like a tractor beam that's just being drawn to this experience. And, and we know, but, but for some reason, we just keep coming back to it. It's, it's about, you know, my time, my money, my stuff, my free time, what I get to do. I need to, you know, self-care this and self-care that. And again, is there anything at its core wrong with that? Not necessarily, but our, our temptation is, is to make whatever that is a God. And we justify it. What makes me feel good right now? Now, you're going to feel bad later, many of us. Been there? It's going to make me feel real good for a little while, and I'll accept the consequences of it later, but I, I need to feel this numbness now. It's something within our very nature. I need something to distract me from my life, even for a few seconds. And it's easy for us to, to fall into this. This list that the scripture gives us, and, and we see these kind of lists of sins over and over and over throughout scripture, but we need to understand these aren't an exhaustive list. John is getting to the point, as, as Paul does when he makes these sorts of lists of all these evil things, debauchery, sexual immorality, you know, homosexuality, gluttony, lying, stealing, chilling, you know, those aren't exhaustive lists. What, what they're trying to, authors of scripture are trying to say is, man, anything that you're becoming obsessed over, that eclipses the glory of God. 
is the desires and lust of the flesh. The scripture is saying the economy, the culture, the value system of the world is broken. And in Christ, you begin to see it. And you begin to not need it. The world is fatally flawed and in its death will will make straight a path for us in life. It's an awakening to this realization that, man, I have many desires of the flesh. The second thing that we see here is the desire of the eyes. So the, the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh is something that just wakens up inside of you. It's something inside of your sinful nature that you're still battling with if you're in Christ. If you're apart from Jesus, you don't care anything about this. You're going to continue to do whatever you want to do and justifying it and ask even God to maybe bless it even though it st- strongly goes against what he says. So the second thing is an external love. These are the desires of the eyes. The desires of the eyes. This, the first one is something that is just within you in your sinful nature that you struggle with. The desires of the eyes is typically something that you see that then leads you to struggle with it. It's something external. Right? In Genesis chapter 3, our first mother, Eve, when she's in the garden, there's this great little passage that we have a tendency to overlook and to skip over. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, Adam and, or Eve, Adam and Eve are standing there, and, and Eve is having this conversation with the serpent. Everybody remember this? And do you remember what she says, though? So the serpent is trying to lead her to eat of the fruit that Jesus, that God says, that the Holy Spirit says, do not eat. You can eat whatever you want to in this joint, just don't eat from this one tree. And so he convinces her that God's word really isn't what God means. He convinces her, he leads her to be tempted to be like God. And in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. She sees the orchard, right? Right? She saw this fruit, this specific fruit. It was a delight to their eyes. She saw that it was good. David is minding his own business as king. That night he walks out on the patio and sees Bathsheba, what? Bathing. I don't think that David, King David, I don't believe, walked out on his patio that night and says, all right, let's see what kind of Palestinian porn I can watch tonight. He's, he's minding his own business. He then sees something, a delight to his eyes, and then what did it lead him to do? Commit an act of adultery and then ultimately murder Bathsheba's husband. 
In the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, what are we told? Do not covet. Don't see another man's wife, another, man, another woman's husband, or, or their car, or their house, and go, I want that. You see it, and, and you want it. All of this is a reflection of, of the world and what this system, this evil system inside of the world. I mean, Jesus even has this own experience, and he, he experiences all of these loves in the temptation, and I just, I just don't have time to go to it today. But there's this one moment, remember, where, where Jesus is out in the desert, and he's being tempted by Satan, and Satan takes him up to a, uh, what, a tall mountain or something like that, and, and he overlooks all of the kingdom, and he shows Jesus all of this, and he says, Jesus, if you'll worship me, I will give you all of this. What was he enticed by? Something he saw that led to the temptation. Sin looks so good. And it's making promises that you and I cannot keep. And we're often not thinking of the long-term consequences to acting upon what we see. I mean, brothers and sisters, we, we love shiny things. We love shiny things. We even had this concept, right? It's, it's love at first sight. I mean, every time Apple comes out with a new commercial, it's like, I didn't know that I needed that. But I need that. I, I, my, my iPhone 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 makes perfectly good pictures. But the iPhone 11 has three cameras on it. And three is greater than one. Even for a public school kid, I know that. I need that. I, I, I want that. Brothers and sisters, I mean, let's... How many... How many... <laughs> We, we are completely bombarded by ads, are we not? I mean, haven't you ever been watching a television show and you're like, no, that's product placement right there. That's kind of odd. Buy this. Wear this. Eat this. Take this medicine. Miracle drugs for, for all of your aches. And Ava loves to watch the, the miracle drugs list and, and then it's crazy. It's like, you know, even depression medication was a very, very serious thing, but it, it always kind of, we snicker and kind of look at each other because at the end of all of, the, even the, the antidepressant medication, it says, this may lead to suicidal thoughts. I thought, isn't this supposed to keep me from that? You may want to die by taking this, but you'll feel good doing it. Or maybe you won't. <laughs> right? I mean, every year there seems to be a new butter to rub on your face. And there's only one that works, I'm telling you, olive ole. Because my great-grandmother used it, and I'm telling you, she died in her 80s, and she didn't have a wrinkle on her face. But she coated her face in olive ole. Morning and night. I mean, but, but really think about it. Can we just have honest evaluation this morning? We are constantly being told, man, if you'll just drink this elixir, and if you'll just rub this butter, if you'll just eat this kind of food, and it's only in a few months after that they tell us, that'll kill you and give you cancer. 
Watch old movies. What's everybody doing in it? Smoking. And now, for those of us who don't smoke, or occasionally don't, um, whatever it is, your, your story. Because, I mean, let's all face it. Sometimes, I'm not a smoker, but sometimes I want to smoke. Again, that's what this is talking about. It, it looks appealing for a moment. It looks for a moment of relaxation, a moment of numbness that will lead you and I to do dumb things. I have a college friend of mine who is, who is um, the, the youngest principal in the state of Kentucky. And three or four years ago, I got a call because he was going to prison. He lost his wife and his kids and his position because he had become addicted to child pornography. I'm talking about a close friend. I'm in Bible studies with this guy. We go to conferences with this guy. And now he sits in jail thinking about, man, I would never do that. Be weary to say that. Because the world is very enticing. It's leading us to death. Miracle drugs for all of our aches, all of our pains, all of our sorrows. Just take this again, eat this. All, all of these sorts of things. When I was a kid, it was, it was my dad. Often every season it came out was filling out the publisher's clearinghouse, believing that one day Ed McMahon was going to show up at our door with a giant check. This morning on my way here, I didn't have time to drink any coffee, and so I just go to the Minute Mart down the road here, and I'm going to get an energy drink. When 50 years ago, there was no such thing. And today, I stood inside of a Minute Mart with probably 100 options for energy drinks. We're the most tired generation on the planet. And we work the least. Something is messed up. The distractions of life. Again, is, is there anything wrong with watching a Netflix show? Well, it depends on what show you're watching. Generally speaking, though, if you make a wise choice, then, then no. I think that there's a place for that. We're not talking about legalism here and religiosity. But we are talking about holiness. We are talking about loving God more than loving this world. That there, there comes a place in time where the most spiritual thing that you and I can do is probably take a nap or enjoy some exercise or, or, or different, connect with people, even online maybe. But, but let's, let's face it, many of these things have become gods in our lives. They're distractions for our lives. We, we know what's going on in the social lights of, of people and, and we watch reality television show about people and when we know about all of these things that are taking place, we're, we're constantly shopping. I mean, how many have ever had that freak out moment where you're thinking something in your mind you've not even typed it in yet but you go to a page on the internet and all of a sudden there's that item in an ad and you're like whoa I'm being watched big brother is real right anybody ever had that moment or if you do search something on Amazon that item is now on every page 
constant buying. I mean, they'll deliver it to our door. I mean, you can, I bet you could buy a person on Amazon. People have sold themselves on eBay. You can buy anything, even in discreet packaging. We've made it easy to sin. And you need to get, this is all from the enemy. Distracting us. Lack of consideration of how this will affect me tomorrow or in the long run. But man, it satisfies me right now. Keeping our eyes on the world causes spiritual blindness. That's why I I feel like I'm preaching to a wall this morning. Because again, many of us are going to shake our heads. And maybe even internally, because you would never do that externally. Amen, the preacher. And so, you know, I get this. I I appreciate all of these head nods. But that's as far as it's going to go for many of us. Is to a head nod. And it's because we've been keeping our eyes on the world so much that it's called spiritual blindness. There was this little song, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See. Be Careful Little Ears What You Hear. See, brothers and sisters, the pornography of the world is not limited to sex acts. Every time I went on a diet, and I wouldn't step foot in a Hardee's, but every time I see a Hardee's commercial and that big old juicy hamburger, I'm like, I need that two extra meat extra cheese and onions hold all the vegetables those are for rabbits and add bacon if you're really good at it double dip it in grease been to that place the heart attack Pornography is not limited to sex. There's, there's food porn, and, and, and I want to say something here because, um, and, and again, this is one of those things I don't really want to talk about, and we're not going to be this kind of church. I am, I am never going to tell you um, who to vote for. But I, I'm, I'm convinced by what I'm hearing and seeing. And we're going to experience this. You're going to be tempted with this even more so this year. Because it's an election year. Is that I'm convinced that many of us in this room. That you are addicted to political pornography. I see it in your tweets. I see it in our Facebook statuses. And the thing is, is political pornography is as detrimental to your affections and to the community around you as if you were looking at sexual porn. It has the same baseline effect. But one is acceptable and one is done in secret. And all year long this year, we are going to be tempted to look and to become obsessed with and consumed by. I I want you to understand, the Republican Party is not the answer to your problems. It is a part of the evil system of the world. And likewise, the Democratic Party is as well. And the Independent Party. 
Should we make wise decisions in our voting? Absolutely, we should. Many great men and women have given their lives. Many of our men and women in this room have served our country. Out of respect for them, should we be thankful for freedom and democracy and getting the right to vote? Absolutely. We, man, we should go do that. We should exercise our right. But we should do so with the understanding that is not our king. It is not the answer to our problems. It is broken both systems, both viewpoints. It should be very clear who we can't vote for. I can tell you that. It should be very clear as believers, people we cannot vote for. But it's political pornography. And it automatically causes separation even within the church because of blasting this political pornography all over our Facebook feeds. It automatically causes separations within churches. Churches, they're going to split this year. And it won't be over color of the carpet because that's dumb. It's going to be over something even dumber, politics. And we need to understand, Mission Church, that all of that is the love of the world when you become obsessed with those things. I love you. I love you. The, Jesus loves you, and he's telling you, do not love the world. Do not love its systems. Do not love its values. Do not become obsessed with these things. And yet so many of us know what's happening on Fox News, and yet, yet we don't know Fox's Book of Martyrs. Or the person and work of Jesus. It's faulty. It's broken. It's deceiving. It's a bug zapper. And yet every day, we're led to it. We're led to it. And it is so, so dangerous for us. In the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've not read the book, there's this great little section in it um, with uh, one of the kids. There's four kids in this. Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, I encourage you to read it. There's this great little illustration of this with uh, one of the young boys named Edmund. And he gets separated from his brothers and sisters. And he's in the Chronicles of Narnia, and they're still in the, the normal world or whatever. And he comes across the White Witch. And pretty much in the Chronicles of Narnia, he, she alludes to, hey, she's trying to get some information out of Edmund. And, and she says, pretty much, I can give you whatever you want. And what's crazy is what Edmund asked for. He asked for something called Turkish Delight. And I did some research this week because I didn't know what Turkish Delight was. And pretty much I found it's like, like no one likes it. That it's not good. It's kind of like fruit cake. It's like you find these strange people every so often. It's like, man, I just love some fruitcake. It's, like it's like a gummy sort of candy. And she makes some about it. She makes some for him, Turkish delight. And what she knows is, she even says this in the book. She says, what I know about this is that once you start eating it, you cannot put it down. It will completely consume you. It was magical Turkish delight, but he doesn't know that. And he eats it, and then he becomes depressed when there's an empty box there. And he's just staring at it, the book says. And this is all a ploy of the evil queen. Because he says, can you make some more? And she goes, my house is, 
there's a whole room full of Turkish delight. And if you will bring me your brothers and sisters and come to my house, then I'll let you have all of it. It says in the book that even his physical appearance began to change, that he looked sickly because he needed it to feed that craving. Spoiler alert, he ends up trading in his brothers and sisters because his desire and longing for Turkish delight was greater. Now it's easy for us to go, that's so dumb. Why Turkish delight? You and I all have a Turkish delight in our lives. Something that we're willing to trade in so much for in order to get There are all of these false promises that the white witch makes inside of this story toward Edmund, and he believes them hook, line, and sinker. And and likewise, that is what is happening inside of the world. Remember when Jesus heals the blind man, the scripture says something like scales fell from his eyes. Do y'all remember that story? It's a really kind of crazy story. love that story. This is what happens when you and I become Christians, is that when we are saved... The Lord blesses us and graces us with new eyes to see. Lastly, love of the world. The pride of life. That word life there can include this idea of the pride of life, the pride of possessions. The pride of life and possessions is seeking being consumed by the pursuit of acceptance of man through our occupations, our education, our, our social status, family name, accomplishments, or the, the things that we own. It's this idea that I am this self-sufficient, independent, self-made, look at what I have accomplished, look at what I have done, look at what I possess. Instead of assurance in Jesus... One has assurance in their own abilities to make things happen. Much of social media has has fallen to this, hasn't it? Man, look at what I have. This relationship, these kids, this house, this new car, this new degree, this award. This is how many miles I ran today. This is what I ate. Is it good to run? Absolutely. Is it good to eat? Amen. Hallelujah. Put some more gravy on it. Is it okay to have a house? Absolutely. Is it okay to, to have even a nice house? Absolutely. Is it, is it okay to have a, a car? Yes, it's, it's, it's okay to have these things. But brothers and sisters, instead of being persecuted in America, we're being seduced. Do you get that? Instead of being persecuted in America, we're, we're being seduced to, to have this, and then I need to find my significance in how many people like all that I've accomplished and all that I've done. Men have so fallen victim of this for the affections of my own heart. That's why I had to get rid of, of, of my Facebook account because I was noticing how my affections, emotions, attitudes were being changed by what I read, by what you and others posted, but also in my lack of disconnect. See, we're dopamine addicts. 
And every time you get a like inside of your physical composition, there's a dopamine burst. And yet, we're, it's an acceptable addiction. Is dopamine a good thing? Absolutely. It's what helps create joy in your life when you see your kids do something or you're around a significant other. But it's, it's bad and it's made into a God when we're continuing to have to, to go to our Twitter feed, our likes, our Instagram, our Facebook, and, and our total um, life and demeanor is based around how many people have have liked it, loved it, or speaking about me, have retweeted it, have reposted it, all these sorts of things. It's seductive, and it's acceptable, and it is evil. All these things taken away from this. I mean, have you ever taken the moment when you go to watch a YouTube video and you've actually not skipped the ad. And you regret it a few minutes later. But in the moment, it seems like, oh, they caught my attention. You know what the ones that always catch my attention? Is the, is the guy that looks like a hipster, but he's standing in front of like a Maserati. You know what I'm talking about, right? Man, I was just like you. Uneducated. Filing bankrupt. And now look, look at my shiny new car, look at my house, I'm traveling to, to, to Aspen, I'm going here, I'm going this, and, and you know what, if you will pay me this amount of money, I'll be able to teach you exactly how I did it. Here's a free ebook. This is how you too can accomplish this. Man, it's, it's enticing because it's like I look at that Maserati and then I go out to my truck my daddy gave me. That's rusty. And that I'm not afraid to get dirty. And yet something inside of me is saying, man, I, I'm smart enough. I can be hipster enough. I can be cool enough. I wonder what that guy's got to say. I need this. I need this. I need this lifestyle. Isn't that what every beer commercial is showing us? It's, it's not about the beer. It's about the lifestyle that you can have if you drink this beer. If you drive this car, if you have this house, people are going to think that we are, we are something, that we're, we're again self-made. If I only had this, I would be happy. And how many people are, are getting divorced over that very concept? She would be better, or he would be better. Or not having either would be better than the life that I currently have. Or If I only had this, I would be happy. At least it's boasting in our accomplishments and in our possessions, pride and occupation and material goods. I mean, men, most of us, speaking to you brothers, we really struggle with this because we find our identity lots of times in what we do, not in who we are. I can't tell you how many times that I've lied through the years when people have asked me what I did because I didn't want to seem a certain way because I was a pastor I mean I came up really creative I, I told a girl on an airplane one time that I was a spiritual guide because I wanted her to think that I was more important than I really was One of the hardest things for me was to move back to Bowling Green. 
because it, it kicked my pride in the gut. My entire life, I've been trying to get away from Franklin and Bullingry. It was tough explaining to people, why don't you have this anymore? Why did you come back? Or, You know what I'm saying? All, all of these sorts of things that, man, they, this is the pride of life that it's speaking about. And yet God says in closing, in verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What God has, what, what Scripture is telling us here is this evil system of the world and all that it promises, it's passing away. It's even good things, earthly good things, guess what they're doing? They're dying. How many mansions are torn down every day to build parking lots? How many cars have you been through? How many clothes? How many shoes? In prized possessions that you never thought that you would get rid of, but eventually break or you sell in a yard sale or give to Hope House. Walk around Hope House at some time at the new store, and you'll see all sorts of things that people once thought were really valuable. The world is temporary. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to eat, and then you're going to get hungry again. The gift of physical intimacy. What a great gift from God. It doesn't last very long. And yet, what do you want? You'll want it again. They're sold. We, we get drunk, and we're like, we'll never do that again. Only to do it again. We, we get high, and then that wears off, and then we get high again. We, we trade in everything for a momentary satisfaction, a moment of relief, a moment of peace, a moment of being numb. Make some money, and then I need some make some more and yet the gospel is here to set us free it's 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 telling us there is great freedom when we stop being led by the pied piper of the world sin satan and death as it hypnotizes us and yet when we can really become to grips as like nothing i have is of any lasting value what does that free us up to do everything in christ that's why Jesus would say, man, if somebody jacks your coat, that means for you older folks, take, steal, thieves. What does the scripture say? Give them your other one. And you're like, oh, no, no. I mean, I'm a jacket hoarder, and that's embarrassing. You can only wear one at a time. You look like a fool wearing multiple coats. Right? Anything that you have, when, when you are free in Christ and when you love him more than anything else, get what you can do. You have open hand. All of this you can have. What freedom. When we start living in the world system. When we stop 
being led astray by this mentality that these are the things that we need. I mean, even Jesus is going to say in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew, do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and there, where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Even these great gifts like sunrises and sunsets and uh, a marriage and even our church family as, as we have it. And I believe that it is a great gift from God. But all of these things are going to pass away and we're going to be given something even greater in the person and work of Jesus. One last illustration. All week I've been working on this. And on Friday night when we decided to, to take cash to the emergency room, we went to the emergency room, got down to Nashville about 7 o'clock. We sat in the emergency room uh, not hearing much information at all. And it gets 9 o'clock. We hadn't eaten any dinner or anything like this. And I'm watching my boy. He's just laying on a hospital bed. My wife is over here. It's Valentine's Day, right? And all these sorts of things. And we're at the emergency room. It was awesome. So glad I planned it. Um, and we're sitting there, and Laura's like, I'm, I'm really hungry. I know Bubby's got to be hungry. And I was like, I'm really hungry, too. So I went up to the second floor. We visited enough. We know where the food's at. And so I, I go upstairs, and there's like a Taco Bell, Pizza Hut combo thing. I mean, it, only if it had a KFC would it be the trifecta trinity of goodness. And so I go up there, and I get us this weird combination of pizza and tacos. And, and I go back down to the emergency room. And they've led us to believe that this is where we're going to have to spend the next day, at least, is actually in the emergency room doing all this. There's no beds. There's no bathroom in there. Just a jail cell with a bed in the middle of it for cash. So I go and I get the food, and I'm sitting there. And in church, I, I, again, I was sitting there, and I was sad, frustrated. I was disappointed, and I'm eating a cheese roll-up from Taco Bell, which isn't even real food. It's all manufactured. I have no idea what this really is, but the world is telling me that it's a tortilla, that it's cheese, and that it's meat, but let's all face it, it's not. It's all sugar. And I literally... had this moment where this scripture became real in my life as I ate that taco and I said to myself, not out loud, this taco is better than you, God. This taco is better than you. And in that moment, the grace of God. One fell on me to make me aware of what I just said. And then I remembered all of his promises, gospel doctrine. And it just literally, I went for, I would use some other terms that they would not be appropriate and God honoring here. But I, I was not angry, but I was so hurt, so broken, so frustrated, so sad that Taco Bell was better. And yet, in that moment, 
I'm not saying that God spoke to me audibly or anything like that, be- began to remind me of his word over and over and over. And I'm not saying that, again, he spoke to me, but, but there was this, this experience I had where he was like, that's what I mean when I say do not love the world. See, brothers and sisters, what you love will often show up in your darkest of moment or in what you believe to be your greatest of moment. It's going to reveal to you your condition of your heart. And in that moment, the grace of God showed up in that room as I'm eating a bite of this cheesy roll-up and saying that in my very head and as God orchestrated a moment to go, but I am greater still. And it does not always happen like this. I'm not the hero of the story here, but I want you to know over the last 24 hour, 48 hours now, once I've had that moment, my complete attitude and demeanor about it all has changed. Like, I'm good. Because God is good. And the love of God is greater than the love of the things of this earth. And I'm so thankful that he visited with me in the grace of that moment to recognize that God is much greater than this temporary satisfaction that I'm getting from this fake food I'm eating. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Brothers and sisters, may we be, as Andrew Murray said, conformity to the world can be overcome by nothing but conformity to Jesus. Let that be true of us, Mission Church. Let us conform to Jesus and flee from the love of the world. Let's pray.